Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at the Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. We're uh, in the book of 1 John, towards the end of the Bible. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. He says here, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that, Lord, is this, the Apostle John wrote these words, Lord, that they apply to us today so important in our lives. Lord, and our desire, I pray, is that we would be pleasing to you in all things. Lord, that you would be the Lord of our life and we would have no idols before you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Okay, after uh, I, I had which weeks to study for this message, which ended up not being a huge benefit because... Uh, what it ended up doing was gave me more time to accumulate more notes and everything. And I ended up, you know, putting it together last second anyhow. Um, and it's kind of a serious subject. After Tripp's message last week on David and Goliath, I'm like, man, why didn't I pick something like that? That's uh, a cooler message than this right here, but I really feel like this is what the Lord um, laid on my heart for uh, us this morning. The year was 1964. Anybody was around in 1964? Like five of us. (laughs) February 9th, and it was a Sunday night in Hawaii. I don't know how many people were here February 9th, 1964 in Hawaii. How many? Me? Me? I'm the only one. Me and Walter. Okay, we're in trouble, buddy. Oh, Missy was. Okay. But, you know what? It showed all over the United States. 73 million people were watching the Ed Sullivan show. Anybody remember? Want to guess what that was? Came on. The Beatles were on. Okay, how many of you guys seen that anywhere in the U.S.? Wow, a lot of old people here. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right, Bernie. You know what? I can remember vividly. I was sitting in my parents' house. And it was, if, if you know, everybody especially the teenagers, and I have a sister that's two years older. She was ecstatic, okay, and anticipating. I couldn't tell you who else was on the Ed Sullivan show that Sunday night. 
but the Beatles were coming up. And uh, I can remember when they started playing, and my sister was just, you know, my sister is like ultra conservative, like really conservative. And, uh, but she was like out of her mind. And uh, the moment they started, so I can remember my parents sitting there, I'm sitting there, and uh, she's sitting there, and they come on, they just start playing, and, and I, I looked at the songs, but I didn't, I didn't write down the songs that they played, but they played about five or six songs, and uh, my, the whole time, and I don't know if it was that way with, with anybody else here, the whole time my parents commented. That they they look like girls because their hair was long. But I mean, if you look at the picture now, it wasn't long. It was like probably full, but at the time it was very long. You know, what's the matter with those guys? They look like girls. You know, and the way that they dressed and the whole the whole deal was like too much for them. And they just went for however long, five or six songs. They cut down the Beatles. And I don't know what point of their little um, concert that my sister started crying and got up and ran into the room, um, offended. Probably in households all over the United States, um, teenage girls ran into the room offended. And, uh, yeah, I kept watching. And uh, I don't think that night, and, and I don't know, I mean, it maybe sounds a little weird. Now that I'm reading it, I'm going, yeah, that is a little weird. But I was influenced. And it was probably the goal of my life at that time to get Beetle Boots. Anybody else? <laughs> Nobody else here had? No? Huh? B-A. You know what? It was like the apex of arrival, you know, if he had those. And of course, my parents, like real conservative, Catholic, Eva Beach, you know, like the end of the world, Beetle Boots, they couldn't even comprehend having that. Plus, I can remember my parents, they had heels, which almost kind of like cowboy boots with a round front, probably like leather. But they were like, look at that, that's like girl shoes. That's a dairy. Your dad said that too, Tom? Yeah, or you said that. <laughs> but, you know what? They were really cool, and I had to have them. And I tell that story just because of the power of influence. And I've done a bunch of knucklehead and pretty crazy stuff now that I'm looking back because. It was like some identity thing, I guess. You know what I mean? And it was, is I, I ended up going, to, well, not ended up, I, I went to a Catholic school for most of my life, and uh, we had to wear a uniform, a white shirt and a tie and blue pants and shoes, of course. But you maybe could wear beetle boots. <laughs> okay, so that never changed. So you didn't, for style-wise, for a teenager, you didn't have a whole bunch of options, but your shoes, possibly, you could have cool shoes. The rest of the time, you look kind of like a dork, but the shoes could be kind of cool. 
So that was my goal. Eventually, when they were almost like out of style was when I got a pair. So, you know. <laughs> he says here, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And it's not to say that Beetle Boots is, it was a sin. But it just shows the power that, you know, the styles and everything in the world has on any one of us that, man, we might do stuff or that becomes the big goal because we want to be accepted or we want to look cool or we want to act cool or it's made us probably do a lot of stuff that we shouldn't have done. Okay, and that draw is always there in every generation. Okay, there's three words in the Bible for... Um, it's the same word, but three different kind of, uh, you know, examples of the world. One is in Genesis 1, the earth, the material earth, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then there's another one, like John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? So the world is humanity, mankind, right? All of them starting off apart from God, with a sinful nature. But this here is the third one, and what it is, is really a whole organized realm which Satan has constructed in defiance to the purpose of God. So the world runs separate from what God wants. John, 1 John 2, 15 to 17 is a command to us. It's a warning. Let's look in uh, Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 through 6. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 through 6. He says here, Why are the nations in an uproar, and the peoples devising a, phase, a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take their counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then He will speak to them in His anger and terrify them in His fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my King upon Zion, my holy mountain. So throughout time, that there has been this um, two different kingdoms running in opposition with each other. The kingdom that Satan has been setting up, that is the world, and the kingdom that God is setting up. In Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, in the temptation of Jesus, Jesus is standing with the devil, and the devil says uh, here, well, the word says here, and he led him, Jesus, up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and their glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, it shall be yours." So Satan is setting up his kingdom. I mean, what he wants, he, he wants people to worship him. 
Okay, and I don't know if that's new news for you or, you know, that's something that you barely consider. On the other hand, John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. So God's kingdom runs separate. And the world is being guided by the devil. And people willingly follow. A lot of them probably unknowing what's behind it. As believers, our loyalty or our allegiance can be to only one kingdom. And that's the kingdom of God. But we get to choose and people get to choose that we're loyal to one or the other. To love the world and to pursue the things of the world is to worship Satan, directly or indirectly. Verse 15, he says, If you love the world, then the love of the Father is not into in you. So neither one of them, right? You either love one or you love the other. That's what he's saying. And probably a lot of people, maybe some of us, believe that you can have a foot in both worlds. And maybe we do, whether we want to admit it or not. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will love the one and hate the other. And speaking of riches, you can, he says, you cannot serve God and riches. In verse 16 of 1 John, he says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So he gives us a little detail to the things in the world. The lust of the flesh, literally craving for physical pleasure, what appeals to our sinful nature. The lust of the eyes, craving for things that you see or coveting things, that it drives us. I don't know, you know, probably if any one of us thought about that, man, there's stuff... Just like for me, maybe it wasn't wrong, but you know what? If it's the goal of your life, apart from God, then it probably fits in this category. And he says the, the third thing, the boastful pride of life, pride, craving for superiority over others, self-sufficient apart from God, self-seeking. Yeah, he says, these three things are the things of the world. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, it's the fall of Adam and Eve. And you know what? It's such an example of what happens over and over and over for generations to this time and onward into the future. And if you remember that story that they were in the garden and God said, look, you can eat of All the trees, this whole garden, you can go wherever you want. You can eat of every tree except for the one. And then when you read, where is Adam and Eve? Standing by the one, of course. The one that God said, 
don't eat from this tree, was the very one that they gravitated to. The devil is tempting them. Right? And his temptation is what? Did God say? That's how he starts off. Did God say? So the first thing the devil does is question what? The word of God. Did God say? Then the second thing he says, right? And when Eve answers that God said not to eat of this tree, if we eat of it, then we're going to die. The devil tells her, you will not die. So the second thing is the devil just outright lies to her. And the Bible says that the devil is a liar. Jesus said the devil is a liar and the father of lies. And he lies to us and tells us something other that's not going to happen. Or that, okay, that happens to other people, but that's not going, you're going to be the exception. The lie. And the third thing, he says, for God knows, he's telling Adam and Eve, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And literally what that means is that, look, God knows. But He's not telling. He's holding something back from you. And that's the temptation for Eve. That, look, there's more there, but you can't have it. Right? Anybody with any children here, and I don't know, maybe, maybe your kids are different than my kids. The moment you say you can't, don't touch that. Right? What happens? Their goal in life is to touch whatever it is you told them that nothing exists other than that thing. Don't don't touch the stove. Or, you know, how many people, like if there's a sign, wet paint. Right? Wet paint. I mean, it just like, they might as well just tell you, touch it. Right? Because you're, there's something about it. I don't care if you're 65. You still want to see if the pain is wet. And you know what? That's what the devil was telling Eve. And verse 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Okay, what is that? The lust of the eyes. When she saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable, right? The lust of the flesh. And it was desirable to make one wise. So look, if you eat of this, you are going to be as smart as God. You're going to know all that He knows. And it says here that she took its fruit and ate and gave also to her husband and he ate. How amazing is that? Right? And he obviously was a good husband because he followed what his wife said. Satan has not changed his tactics in this day and age. And if you consider it temptation... Our temptation and others all over the world. It's that same progression. And every generation, every person feels like they're the exception. They fall for the lie that that the devil tells them. Did God say, 
you are not going to die. You are not going to suffer the consequences. And we always, what do we do? We fall for it. We look at it, right? And then we see, yeah, that's right. He's right. And, and there we go. Beware of the things of the world having an unhealthy influence on us in our relationship with Christ. One version puts that scripture this way. Stop considering the world precious with the result that you love it and the things of the world. So influence. What or whom is influencing you? Attraction. Any pursuits. What are we going after? And for what reason? I I read a good quote the other day that it said that if you had to sin to get it, it's not a blessing. And you know what? It is really an amazing thing how easy we can compromise. Identity. In whom or what do you find your identity in? This present culture, how much does it influence and shape us? Our thinking, our morals, our worldview as Christians. Are we influenced from what's in the world or we're influenced by what we see on TV or the latest trends or what's happening? All these different things. And I think that that's the bottom line. James chapter 4, if we'll turn there and read. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. James 4, 1 through 8. He says here, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously, God jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. A.W. Tozer says, Now, brethren, this is one of our greatest faults in our Christian lives. We are allowing too many rivals to God. Materialism, secularism have put the light out in our souls and turned us into a generation of zombies. That the world, what does he say here? Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If any person loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Do we have one foot in the world and one foot in Christ? In Matthew chapter 16, verses 23 through 26, Jesus says, If anyone wishes to come after me, 
They must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a person if they gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? And what will a person give in exchange for their soul? That is an amazing scripture. And on Friday, I did a wedding. Yesterday, Saturday, I did a funeral. And you know what? What a contrast. And the blessing was that this guy, a friend of mine from when I was small in Ever Beach, he was a believer. He was actually a pastor on Maui. And you know what? I considered this scripture here. That it doesn't matter what you gain, what you have, all of that stuff, because everybody ends up in the same place. Right? And I said, gee, what does it profit any one of us to gain the whole world and yet lose our own soul? And at that memorial for him, you know what? It was apparent throughout, and you can see how it is. That man, people need to take stock of their life presently and look where they are and look what they're pursuing because you know what? At the end, it doesn't mean a thing. And all those things, what do you leave behind when you pass into that other world? Everything. You don't take anything with you. The Bible says that empty, we came into this world and empty, we're going to go out. That's how it is. Verse 17, uh, it says, The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives or remains forever. The world is temporary. And you know what? It's probably pretty gnarly, and I get up there to share a little bit and to pray for my, my friend and brother yesterday. Man, how much are you going to think about it? It's always a surprise. And, and what ended up happening was he was feeling kind of hot, you know. And, and in fact, you know what's so crazy about it was a couple of years ago, we had an Everbeat Surf Club reunion, and him and I together did this thing for all the guys, the old Everbeat Surf Club guys, the, the crew that passed away up to that point. And there was a picture me and him standing together as we did together this kind of memorial for all of our friends, you know, from our little surf community in Ever Beach that had passed away. And his wife asked me, who I didn't know the wife, but she saw that picture and that's why she asked me to come over there because here was him and I, but now I'm doing it. And a couple of years later, he was the one that passed away. And he was in his house on Maui, and he said he was feeling kind of hot. And they said, ah, just go lay down. He went and laid down and never woke up. You know what? None of us knows. We don't know. The world, it says here, is temporary. Right? And the world is going to pass away one day. God's judgment is on it. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But I can promise you, man, that's if we make it to that point. 
And the Lord knows, just like with my friend Clay, the Lord knows the day. Any one of us, and that day is appointed, the Bible says, for each and every one of us. That's an appointment all of us are going to keep. And the Lord knows it. And he, but he's warning us now that, you know what, in this present time, that this world is temporary, so we need to spend our time and effort towards the things that are going to last. What do you think was important at that memorial yesterday? Right? We spend our whole life, and you know what, I really had to think about this. We spend our whole life on all kinds of other stuff, but you know what? And I prefer to do memorials because people are more sober-minded. People are probably more in the right mind at a memorial than at a wedding. We are called as believers to be separated from the world's enticements. We are called to be separated from the world and unto God. The church, literally what it means is, that word is assembly of called out ones. That we are called out of the world when we become believers. We are saved out of the world and yet not removed from it. If you remember that scripture in John 17 verses 14 to 18, Jesus is praying and he says, Look, Father, I'm praying that you keep them in the world. So as believers, the Lord keeps us here in the world, but that you watch over them, that they not become of the world. And that's our calling. We're here in the world to be what? To be an influence on them. James chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Keep yourselves unstained from the world. And I was, I was considering this whole subject and... Uh, a couple of days ago, it kind of came to my head, and this, most of this is in the Sermon on the Mount. I read the, the Sermon on the Mount, the three or four chapters that it is. And uh, do we see what the world permits, what the world encourages, and what is accepted in the world? Now, all of that is contrary to what Jesus thought. And this is just a small list that I put together from the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus said, do not murder. Okay, now you think about what you see in the news and what's pretty prominent now. Or no hating, right? Jesus said, if you even hate your brother, it's like you murdered him in your heart. Okay? And he says, to love your neighbor. He, Jesus says, do not commit adultery. Also, he said, look, if you even look after a woman with lust in your heart, it's like you committed adultery in your heart. Now, you pair that with what's accepted and pretty prominent in the world. Don't divorce. He says to love your wife, love your husband. He says, don't take vengeance to forgive. Don't put your trust in riches. He says to store up treasures in heaven for yourself. He said to be a servant. Love your neighbor. Be as a little child. Jesus said don't worry about your life. 
And I know that in this group, none of us worry about our lives, right? Nobody here. He says, what, don't worry about your life, what you will wear, eat or drink, etc. He says, look at the birds of the air, the lilies of the field. And what he's saying is to trust God. Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be taken care of. Right? How often I do, and I'm guessing maybe some of you do, that worries, right? We're worries about all those things. You know, and here we are that the Lord brings us through day after day, year after year, and we still sometimes fall into that worry about what we have and what we don't have or what we need or what we like or all of this kind of stuff. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He said, do not be conformed. Or a a literal translation, do not let the world press you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. And that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So in 1 John 17, he says, The world is passing away in all of its things, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Don't do what the world says, but do the will of God. That's what he's saying here. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. And that that word encompasses tribulation, temptation, testings. Right? Anybody can identify that? In this world, you will have those three sometimes all in the same day. But Jesus said, but take courage, for I, He, has overcome the world. A promise to us. That we're going to have those things, but you know what? Take courage, that He has overcome the world. Jesus has the victory over the world, and has given us the victory over the world. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, it says there, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So Jesus has overcome the world and he says, look, our faith has overcome the world. And I don't know, I can tell you, I'm guessing, and Jesus said that, that in the last days, men were going to be fearful. Why? Of all the stuff that's going on. And you know what? Here, it says here that, you know what, we have overcome the world. It says here that He's telling us to have courage, even in these hard times, because He has overcome the world. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And if you're going to be in the home groups, this is what we're going to cover. We're going to cover the book of Colossians. But in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3, He says, Therefore... If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died. 
right? How many people have died? We don't look like we died, right? But we have died to the world and we have died to the passions of our flesh. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. If you turn there, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He says, seeing His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So what's he promising here? That everything, his divine power has given us everything. There's no reason scripturally for us to come up short. The power is available. The promise has already been made. Made All of that is there for us, if we want to lay hold of it. Where do we stand in all of this? Let us consider where our loyalties and passions lie. Are we allowing the world to have influence over us? Or is the Word of God and the things of God our passion in our pursuit. We need to consider when we make decisions or, you know, maybe all the stuff that we watch or listen to, consider, accept, reject. Is this from the world or is this from God? Again, he says here, Do not love the world, nor the things of the world, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For this world is passing away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, that it always exhorts us to a better life. Lord, and you know us. As it says in your word, Lord, that we are frail. Lord, that we easily are distracted by the things of the world. Lord, we do ask that we would lay hold of the promises. Lord, we ask that we would just take account of our lives, our pursuits. Lord, what we consider and value important in our lives. Lord, that we would press towards the goal, Lord, of the upward call of Christ. Lord, that we would commit ourselves freshly to you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.